Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. I feel so blessed to be in the mountains this week in Vail, Colorado, while the world is going crazy just to have this sort of oasis of being in these majestic Rocky Mountains and doing some skiing in beautiful conditions. And I'm actually here at uh, Oneg Conference, which is a, a an annual conference of uh, mostly uh, reform rabbis um, who gather and learn together and have some very robust discussions uh, before and after long days of skiing. And it's been really wonderful to be here and to make some new some new friends and some new connections. And I've been really moved by some of the conversations we've had, very, very personal um, reflections on a lot of very, very important issues for our time. And so I'm actually joined here by um, a new friend, uh, and we've been skiing hard together, and we've had many of our conversations on chairlifts. And so we're going to sort of continue some of those conversations now. I'm here with Rabbi Elise Frischman, who... Uh, was the editor of Mishkan Tefillah, which is the uh, the Reform uh, Siddur, a wonderful prayer book that came out in, what year was it? 2007. 2007. And uh, Rabbi Elise Frischman uh, was a congregational rabbi, recently retired for over 30 years. 36. 36 years. And um, is also a board member of uh, American Jewish World Service, AJWS. And I'm very uh, honored to have you here, uh, Elise and I'd just like to start by saying welcome and just for you to reflect what's sort of, you know, bubbling up in, in you right now after this week, because we have had some really wonderful conversations. I mean, not just you and I, but as a group, there's been some really, some really deep reflective conversations. I think that we've talked a lot about vulnerability and how at whatever stage of our life we're in, how we're so conscious of what's changing around us what we do not have control over and what we try to have control over and how we're we're trying to you know make meaning of the work that we do of the service that we offer and uh in god's place mm-hmm. um you know where we are in god and where god is in us oh beautiful and i suppose it's you know we're in this time where we're reading um, these quite painful stories of, of slavery into Exodus and at the center of it all seems to be this very troubling notion of, of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart and the beginning of this week's uh, parsha before the actual uh, Exodus happens it says Bo el Paro God says come to Pharaoh and many of the mystical commentators see that as an invitation to go into the sort of dark heart of the world. The disruption of the world. The disruption of the world. And, and Pharaoh's heart is a sort of symbol of that destruction, the hardening heart, perhaps. But there, there is one way of seeing it as being an invitation that to really get to the point of liberation, we have to first go into those very dark and painful places, which I think has also been some of our conversations this week. I mean, it's weird to have those conversations. in So isn't that ironic, though, to say that in order to get to a place of liberation, you have to go to a dark place, but you're already in a dark place if you need liberation. Right. So I, uh, you and I were actually talking about this a little bit before, and then I was giving a little more thought about um, Pharaoh is you know, on some level right now, he's such an easy, wicked symbol for us in our nation. But I actually think 
textually he's much more complex. And it's clear from the text that God hardens his heart. And the question is why? So one idea is in examining each of the plagues and looking at who brings the plague about and who is affected by the plague and how it builds, we see that the people who are impacted by the plague move from just the magicians to the courtiers and officials of mm -hmm. Pharaoh's palace and family, and then to people who are willing to listen or not listen, the Egyptians, and then to all the Egyptians, because ultimately the Egyptians don't rise up. So what I wonder about this notion of coming into Pharaoh, into a maybe a place of disruption, mm -hmm. is it's less about the leader than it is about us. And yet, of course, I'm also deeply struck by how in so many ways we feel both imperiled and paralyzed in our own nation. So that's one piece that I've been thinking about. The second piece, which you raised when we were talking about the notion of someone whose heart hardens, is I think about leaders who don't start out in that place, who really begin in a place of, I want the best for my people or for the people I'm serving or whatever it might uh -huh. be, but over time become cynical. And even their sense of God becomes cynical. And so they become hard and judgmental, not open, blaming the victim. And you know how difficult that is for us in all, in all of our lives in different ways. So you're saying that's a sort of symptom of having a hard heart, yeah. is that, that cynicism perhaps. But I want to go back and, and just push you a little further because of course it's horribly difficult theologically to think of a God who actively hardens Pharaoh's heart. And we see that the language, you know, if you read the Hebrew closely, sort of changes. Sometimes it's God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes it's the heart itself hardening. And sometimes it's Pharaoh hardening his own heart. But And, and there's also these three different verbs that are used, you know, chazak and kaved. Yeah. And um, what's the third one? <laughs> well, chazak is almost like seized his heart. Like seized his heart and kaved, that, that sort of heavy. heavy heaviness, which can also be something positive like kavod. I like uh, honor well, and respect. Burden, a right. burden no matter what. Yeah. So that's interesting that God burdened Pharaoh's heart. Yes. And Pharaoh couldn't handle the burden. Mm. That's interesting to think about what that burden might have been. Rather than hardening the heart, burdening it. Say more. I wonder what it means for us to feel that our hearts have been burdened and we can't manage it so we become cold and hard. And... Uh, often, you know, when I speak with, with people whose parents are not kind or compassionate and they talk about, they ask, how am I to honor my parents? Yes. And I suggest that at the root of the word honor is this word heavy or burden, that it, we're, we're burdened with it. It's not so much the honoring of it, it's, it's the obligation of it. Um, but it, if we didn't do it, we would be more damaged. Um, and the burden is that, you know, huh, we were walking along a beautiful, we were walking up to a crest of a hill today, right? We were going to ski down this fabulous, ungroomed area. And you and our friend were walking at a pace that I couldn't keep. And it was burdening to me. Mm. And I said, could we please stop? 
And you, both of you said immediately, of course. And I asked I, for some water and, and one said, Do you, did you bring it? And I said, no, and you immediately gave your water. Now, we shared this burden. For you, it was a much easier climb than for me. Um, but it became so much less of a burden because we were doing this together. But if I had been alone and this had been a true crisis, you know, I might have been hardened by it. Mm. But how can we have a relationship with a God? I mean, so if you're saying burdening can be an invitation to something and it's us who can't actually, necessarily you said take that. the responsibility. You actually said at the very outset that in order to be to have liberation, we have to enter into a darker place. So... I don't know if I actually believe that. I was saying it because mm. I thought it would be a provocative introduction. Uh. But and I think that's what the Zoh- how the Zohar understands the, the you know the main book of Kabbalah understands that idea of bo. It doesn't say lech. It doesn't say go. It says come. So if if we if we're being asked to come somewhere, then the idea is that that's where God is. God is in that place. God is asking us to come to God in that place, and that place is you know according to the Zohar is like the tanin. It's like this almost like this um, mythical. Uh, crocodile dragon type figure we were talking a lot this week about this this difficult god the god that causes pain and and catastrophe and um and how to manage that and i i think this is an ultimate question right it is it is a master question and i <laughs> i'm always troubled by the request to answer the question because if I had the answer I probably could also make for world peace Um, it's a question that's been asked since the inception of our heritage and faith so it troubles us to no end and yet I suppose for me the center I think of God less in a personal sense and more as a makom a place and um, so I don't need to ask that question of Macomb of the place maybe that's a cop-out I think it is a cop-out a little I mean it's not a cop-out I think it's a very a very legitimate and beautiful way to have a relationship and Macomb place is a, a very powerful name for God and it's the name of God we invoke when we want to comfort a mourner like may the place give you that comfort you know, but, I, but I, it doesn't get us out of the fact that if we read the Torah on a surface level it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart so how do, how do we understand that I mean that's, that's less difficult for me to understand okay More, the most difficult piece for me to understand is how can God cause how can God allow same for it's cause and allow are the same thing if God is all powerful pain and catastrophe I mean pain is one thing catastrophe is another right the loss of a child so I the only way I can think about it in very human terms because we are talking about human emotion is to think about parenting and you know some are blessed with parents who are wonderful flawed but wonderful who's care and love are obvious and sustain that that the child through life others less so you know parents who are who damage and so uh, we try to explain damaging parents through psychology right but ultimately the pain isn't explained away through psychology 
The pain has to be worn through and let go. Some people let go of pain. I, the wonderful therapist who once said to me, um, people often stay in a place of pain because it's familiar. It's so much easier than going into the unknown. But ultimately we have to let go of that pain. We can't always understand and answer it. I feel that way sometimes about God, that I, I have to make a choice of choosing to be in God's love and embrace, which is very hard language for me personally, but I, and I wrestle with it, so it's easier for me to think of it as makom than personal. But I make a choice to do that because I can't answer those questions, and I get so much more benefit out of not staying in the place of pain. Mm. And I'm willing to say, I don't think it's a cop-out to say, I'm putting this on the shelf for now. You know, when I was 20 years old, when I was 30 years old, 40, 50, 60, I have different questions and different needs. Certain things stay on the shelf. It's okay. So then, I mean, when obviously, as you said, we're not going to solve that uh, timeless question. And I think that um, obviously you and I, we've chosen to, to, to be rabbis and to wrestle with understanding and relationship with with a, 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 some form of God and to help other people have that relationship and it's a, a, a life's work really and so you know we, we know that there's a sort of mm. a simplicity in as we, as we were discussing this morning there's a simplicity in just rejecting a God as soon as something terrible happens and saying I can't believe in that God so I'm not going to believe in anything and there's a, you're, you're saying there's a sort of nuance and a subtlety to that relationship well, but, but I also think that's not the only reason we're rabbis Okay. And so I think, yes, I think not, the rest, that's not the only reason I'm a rabbi. Right. And the wrestling is, uh, I think it's really okay to be in a place of wrestling. And um, I mean, Jacob is my favorite, favorite Torah figure um, because he's the most real of them all. And I'm a rabbi because I want to create sacred community. Right. Right. And so God is part of that. But people who don't who who are who's who's wrestling with God moves them away from God can still be part of a sacred community because ultimately it's about our human relationships and what we build together and how we do that through a Jewish lens. So I'm I'm not uncomfortable in a place of discomfort. Mm-hmm. I mean we skied and we and and half you know throughout the day we're talking about oh my god this muzzle in my back and da, da, da. but that doesn't keep us from doing it. It's a simplistic way of looking at it. That's a nice it's a nice analogy. I, I and, and I agree with you, of course. But I think for too many, it's 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 a reductionist kind of way of thinking. It's like I'm not sure I believe in God, therefore I can't really practice a religion and be part of a religious community. But you're saying that the the, the whole point is, or not the whole point, but a big part of it is the sacred community. I so, think sacred and religious are two different things. And I think what people what has let people down to say that God has let me down is that that's the child in us speaking. But the truth is that the child has been let down not by God, but by the community. That's why a child feels abandoned. And so I think our role is to make certain that the community is present in, in, in manifest ways, you know, in, in, in so many different ways, mm-hmm. so that when one feels that sense of, well, you know, where is God in this, um, you don't always have to talk about that. You, you know that you've got comfort and safety in, in a huge other way. Well, that's beautiful, and I, I would like to link that back to what you said earlier about it, it's not about Pharaoh, it's about the people, because that seems to be there seems to be a relationship between so those two. 
So, so say, say more about that. So, so, I mean, in terms of the, the idea of Pharaoh's heart, because, you know, perhaps to take it back to the idea, well, in community, like, clearly it's about if we live in a world where we're so terrified by the capacity of a, of a hardened heart and what that can do, then, then what's the invitation for us as individuals and as communities? Well, I'm not sure if you're asking me about the political situation in our nation or if you're asking me about... I don't, about really, want, I don't really want to go there. <laughs> I, I mean, I, right. you know, Ultimately, it's... I really believe... I believe in retrenching. I guess that's a good way of putting it, that I don't think that life is linear. I, I, I don't know if I shared this with you. I was thinking about... Um, I read an article a week or two ago about fractal thinking. So fractal patterns are like snowflakes. Every snowflake is different, but there is this pattern of movement in and out. And there's this idea, biologically, neurologically, that we think in fractal patterns. So what I used to think was like I would get distracted and and my head goes here and then it goes there and then it goes there, but it comes back, is actually an organic working of my brain. It has to go in and it has to go out and it has to explore. In thinking about this, this is completely non-scientific. Now, I have no idea if there's any truth in this, or fact in this, I should say. But I've been thinking about how people who appear to think in very linear ways, just like snowflakes have different fractal patterns and some are more complex, may not have as strong a fractal pattern as someone who is more creative. And um, I think that when what I referenced as retrenching is when we imagine that that life should be linear, that if we do X, it'll lead to Y, which will lead to Z, that's actually very naive. And we know that in terms of numbers and infinity, that it's not one, two, three, that between one and two is an infinite amount of numbers. So the way that we need to respond to the world around us is not so rapidly. We, we want to be rapid. We want it to be so A, B, C, cause and effect. I don't think we can do that. And part of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is a suggestion, I think, that it wasn't going to be as simple as Moses going to Pharaoh and say, let us go, and Pharaoh saying, yeah, okay, I get it, God is more powerful, I'll do what you want. That instead there had to be this kind of fractal movement away from Pharaoh, first towards his magicians, who believed, who got it once they got afflicted themselves, right? And then to the courtiers who started to get it, and then to the Egyptians who, you know, bring your cattle inside. And if you bring your cattle inside, they won't be impacted. Half the Egyptians brought their cattle inside. Half of them didn't. After that, you know who God is. You know who's more powerful. But they still didn't listen. So this is all a movement in and out, in and out, in and out, but out and out and out for the people to have to do something, and they don't. And so this week's Parsha is the catastrophic ending. You know, the last three plagues. And and the tragedy too is Pharaoh never has the ability to turn his people around. He could have also. He could have at some point said to his people, what are you thinking? What am I thinking? You know, we've had a colleague this week who said, I made a mistake. We're, We're moved by that leadership. He used the word hubris, you know? And we there's a lot of hubris in our world right now, but also in us personally. We feel if we can't do something right away, we can't fix the problem, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? We're so anxious. Things take a lot of time. And 
I mean, I can suggest books and things to read about stuff like this, but I just feel we are a little impatient and we need to talk a little bit more with each other and do more and band together and we will find the way. You know, this is where we are right now is not where we're going to stay. At the very beginning, you, you, you mentioned that we talked a lot about vulnerability. Is being vulnerable the same as having a soft heart? And is that part of the answer? I mean, obviously, it's, it's so complex and the whole fractal notion that you brought in here. But, I mean, if we as communities encouraged a sort of relationship where we were able and willing to be vulnerable with each other, would that be a, a sort of antidote to the, fe- the hard heart? So I, I, I do believe in vulnerability, but I also am cautious about how that is represented, right? And how people are invited to be vulnerable when it may not actually be safe. Sacred community is about building that vulnerability, but you have to be open to where you're not good. Where mm-hmm. you're not, not good, I don't mean that, but where you're not effective and what with the mistakes that you're making. And um, it takes a lot to build a sacred community and it takes more than one leader. Uh, it takes partnership and many, many people. It takes honesty, it's a lot of self-reflection, a lot of willingness to question. Um, we don't have a lot of that modeled around us. So it's hard, but I do believe in that. I, I believe that's the that's what we as rabbis try to create. Thank you. We're, we're coming to the end of our time, and I, I just, um, I've enjoyed this conversation, and it feels like there's way more questions than answers, as, as there are, I think, in any real conversation. But just wondering, as we as we come to a close, if you have any any final thoughts that you're really sort of taking away from this week that we've shared um, that you were going to take into into your the rest of your you know winter January I think a lot about the balance between um, thought and experience and also um, work and service and play and it's difficult to find that balance when I come on this kind of an experience, this oneg, kind of rabbinic kala and retreat, it's it's one of my favorite weeks of the year because we really do try and blend it all. We try and support one another. We try to learn more and push ourselves and be vulnerable and play and sing and appreciate just the beauty of our world. It's hard to allow ourselves that opportunity and I, I, I want I want to leave this magnificent setting which is a setting of people place and god and make certain i provide that for myself in in the weeks ahead and i and i'm so grateful to you mark for this time of getting to know you and learning more from you likewise it's really been very rich and i've enjoyed skiing with you and talking to you and sharing with you and hope we connect again soon thank you thank you Thank you for listening to A Dash of Drush. We will see you next time.